the fail on podcast episode zero two three you got to be diehard passionate about it it can hurt people because when they start it they did it because they were passionate about it and then they realize it's a job and then they're not then they're like shit this isn't funny anymore it's like look business is not the same as being a practitioner Welcome to the Fail On Podcast, where we explore the hardships and obstacles today's industry leaders face on their journey to the top of their fields through careful insight and thoughtful conversation. By embracing failure, we'll show you how to build momentum without being consumed by the result. Now, please welcome your host, Rob Nunnery. Hey there, and welcome to the show that believes embracing failure and sharing your honest struggle is the only way to achieve your dreams. In a world that only likes to share successes, we dissect the struggle by talking to open, honest, and vulnerable entrepreneurs, and this is a platform for their stories, and today's story is a good one. It's of Dan Martell. If you don't know Dan, Dan's an award-winning Canadian entrepreneur and has exited three different venture-backed startups, his most recent being Clarity, which was acquired by Startups.co. In 2012, he was named Canada's top angel investor, having completed over 33 investments with companies like Udemy, Intercom, and Unbounce. We'll be discussing how he got his start in business and why actually being in jail led to a completely new perspective on life. The two magical questions to ask people that will make networking effortless and the one simple exercise to take to get out of a rut when you are feeling down and obviously much, much more. But first, I haven't been traveling as much as I typically do lately. But it hasn't stopped me from wearing my new favorite shirt. It's a shirt from an awesome Toronto company called Unbound Merino. They have clothes and apparel made out of merino wool. And get this, you can wear them for months on end without ever needing to have it washed. Yes, I said that. This is a traveler's absolute dream. It's a guy's absolute dream. And it will turn you into a minimalist really quickly. You'll never have to check a bag at the airport again. But we'll have a promo code for you on the show notes page for an exclusive Failon discount that you won't be able to get anywhere else. So make sure to check that out. That'll be at failon.com slash 023. And moving right along, if you'd like to stay up to date on all the Failon podcast interviews and key takeaways from each guest, simply go to failon.com and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. That's at failon.com. You have Clarity and Flowtown that you sold. And I want to jump into all that stuff. And I want to jump into what you're doing now with danmartel.com. But first, just for some context, let's go way back to the first time that somebody actually gave you money in exchange for a product or service that you created. Yeah. So I will say, I'll go to 17. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to uh, rally the neighborhood kids to build tree forts and snow castles and uh, charge other neighborhood kids that didn't help out 25 cents play. (laughs) So I guess at a young age, you could say I was into real estate, but I think the, uh, the more interesting story is, is when I was 17, I, um, you know, I went through a lot as a, as a teenager, I had a pretty colorful upbringing, short stories, ended up in jail twice, rehab at 17, discovered programming through this book I found on Java programming. And when I get out, that became my new addiction. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I ever sold was my dad had a cottage he used to rent for a few weeks out of the summer. And he was just sick of answering the same phone calls all the time yeah. of like, Yes, it's free these weeks. No, we don't allow... You know what I mean? Back in the day before the internet, people had to call to get these <laughs> same questions answered. Right. And he asked me, he's like, hey, could you build me this, you know, these web pages in 97, 98? And uh, it just occurred to me that 
there could be other people like my dad. So I told him it would cost him 200 bucks. And he was like, why is it 200 bucks? I'm like, that's how much it costs. And the truth was I needed the servers because I wanted to, to build something a little bit more elaborate. And first thing I ever sold, I got a tourism guide. I had built it for my dad. Got a tour. It's called maritimevacation.ca. It was a vacation rental site, which mm. you'd think it'd be a $10 billion idea in today's market. But this right. is a few mistakes made along the way. And I feel I, I took all the addresses and I didn't even know anything about I just I just did it because I was like, of course this is how I'm gonna reach them. So I just got my little brother Mo, paid him like three bucks an hour to sit there and type in all the addresses of this these bed and breakfasts and, and cottages into a Microsoft Access database, mail merged that in Word to a form letter essentially, sent that out with some page that said, Hey, we're maritimevacation.ca. If you want a listing online for your, your cottage or B and B, just fill out this form and add three pictures and then we'll send you and and thirty dollars. And uh, I sent it out and not like you know, I was like maybe somebody'll call or whatever. And like two weeks later my dad came back from work and he picked up the mail and he had a stack of envelopes. No way. And he's like and he just looked at me and said, What did you do? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I started opening them, and like people sent cash. Oh way. I'm like it's in the mail, huh? I'm like, yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> if I worked in the anymore. mail, I'd be like sitting there with a light and be like, oh, there's the cash envelope. <laughs> and that was the first time I ever made a dollar online from somebody. It wasn't like you know a cousin, a brother, right. a friend, and that changed everything. That was like that that moment for the rest of my life will go down as like. Oh, I can do this. Changed everything, right? Like everything. Just the mindset, just like holy cow. And it was crazy because, like, people take it for. I literally today, I'm still in awe of the fact that I can build something and anybody in the world that has the internet can see it. Like my dad worked at Siemens and this like manufacturing electric mortar stuff, and like I don't know what he did. I never saw it. Like my kids can go use the products I build, and like I could share it with anybody. I just I find that's just. It'll never, I'll never take that for granted. And that moment was when I was like, I could actually see myself doing this as a thing. So what actually gave you that mindset starting out? Like initially having that idea and putting together and starting to, you know, pay Mo to start typing in addresses. Like what actually got well, you there? Well, that's being lazy. So yeah. that, that's, that, that <laughs> oh, was. It's called delegation. Yeah, man. that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my, my family wondering why I was so lazy my whole life. And I mean, I just, you know, I just, I've always been somebody that, that likes to create. I literally just, I'm, you know, but unfortunately most of the things I wanted to do that weren't legal or, you know, convincing my, my, my friends to go steal their parents wood so we could build like tree. Like there was, there was no filter either. So sure. that's the other part. It was kind of like, that makes sense. I know we shouldn't do this, but I think the upside will be a lot of fun. And I was always, you know, fairly good at convincing people to kind of join in the, uh, the, the journey. But, you know, when I, when, when all of a sudden now there was money involved and I realized you could take that and then buy other stuff and make it better and reinvest and that, that was the unlock. And, uh, it definitely took me a lot more time and years and failed companies to finally figure it out. But that was the beginning and the seed and just realizing that I could create things that other people would want to pay for. Mm. So you got the stack of envelopes with money in it. Where did that, did that project go anywhere else? Did it go further? No. I mean, so what happened was I think we got like 40 some listings and, uh, you know, we ended up doing some advertising stuff. So we got it to about 20,000 the first year, but I, I mean, I built it for my dad. I was in that passion. I literally just needed something to work that was real. Like I was writing code, but it wasn't like any, like it was just like stupid stuff. Like I built this app that allowed my friends to build list of songs, like 
if you had a CD burner back in the day, you were like every person would come to your house and sit on your computer, try to build their fucking their <laughs> playlist for their girlfriend or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I built like this app that connected through FTP, connect to my computer, get the updated songs I downloaded from Napster. They could create the their CD and it would like send over the order and I could hit a button. It would burn at night. Got it. So that like I've I built things for myself, but then it was like, oh, I can build stuff for other people. So the Maritime Vacation, I just wasn't passionate. And the truth was, is I called it MaritimeVacation.ca, which was a total market, about 200 cottages. Right. And the guy at, at thecottage.com <laughs> had a better name and, you know, more professional business mind. And like, yep. you know, even though I got my little brother Mo to do some stuff, I still didn't understand the concept of like a team. And build. I mean, I was 17, you know, so like <laughs> right. not too hard on myself, but yeah, I kind of let that one wind down over a couple of years. And then I came up with another idea about two years later called MB Host because I started building sites for other people. And, you know, anybody that's done any consulting on the web dev side, they're like, oh, I should do a hosting company. Well, that's the dump. Like, yeah. if you want any life whatsoever, you don't do web hosting. Well, it sounds like your dad was, uh, he had a job at Siemens. So were, were you raised in this entrepreneurial it doesn't seem like it. No. So what, well, I'll, I'll say this. A, different cloth a, a few things. Definitely, definitely the black sheep of the family. You know, I'm the second oldest. I had a sister and two younger brothers. My dad had a few rental properties, so he did understand business. He was the general manager, and he had like he was a sales guy. So I I learned a lot about business negotiation, deal structure. Being in the car as a teenager, as a young, you know, eight, nine year old, the risk side def- didn't come from my dad. Like if my dad calls me today and said, Dan, I have a deal. I don't, I don't need to hear another word, dad. I'm <laughs> in because he is the, the antithesis of anti-risk. Got it. And I love him for that because if you show him something and he's like, that's a good idea. It's like super good. Like 110 percent good too idea. Much, it's too good. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like <laughs> everything I've ever done in my whole life, he still doesn't get. Like it's just, <laughs> he wouldn't even touch it. But yeah, so it wasn't that. I, I just, I just think the entrepreneur side just came from, you know, going through a lot of chaos as a kid, and I really believe that you know, people that have had success usually have some chaotic moment. You know, sometimes it's a parent that passed away when they were younger, or you know, uh, certain situations just teaches them to deal with uncertainty. Yeah, and it turns out that. Other than being an entrepreneur, like it's hard for me to be anything. Like I'll get fired. Like I remember yeah. I had a job for like eleven months. That's that was the couldn't do it. I mean, the first thing I did was figure out how I could get all my work done in two hours and play a real tournament for the other six. Sure. And uh, do do this alt tab. It was so funny. I got like a screenshot of a Word doc, and I could alt tab to the image, so I could be playing the video game and alt tab, and like my screen. So if I heard anybody coming behind me, it was just like <laughs> boom, like. So like that's, that's the kind of stuff yeah. I would do as an employee, and then just too opinionated, and you know, always seeing the opportunity to do something better, and I just I just felt like a hypocrite if I'm like, you should do this better. And it's like, what am I? Why don't I just do it for myself? Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I had the same feelings when I had when I had a job, like looked at as kind of unruly and like has a, an opinion on everything. Totally. And, like telling them to change this. Why are you doing it this way? And <laughs> no employer wants to hear that. No, they're like, I know these things are broken. Can you stop making it painfully obvious? And <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, but do something about it. It's like, but then it's really a point. You got to look in the mirror and say, why am I not doing something about it? Totally. Like, you know, and that's, I guess I've always had that, that self, like, you know, it can't, I can't be a hypocrite. Like that, that was a big part. What gave you kind of the, I'm just thinking, like a lot of people that are going from this this spot where it's maybe it might be a shift from a job, like a nine to five job, to starting a business or wanting to do any kind of creative venture. For a lot of people, there's it's 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 risky, like talking about risk. 
what allowed you to have the, were you living at home? Were you, did you have money in the bank? Did you, what gave you the freedom to actually do these projects? Yeah. I mean, my, my dad's my hero. He, you know, after I got out of rehab, you know, it was a big, big shift. You know, I, I mean, I went, I actually was, you know, in jail, got released early, went to rehab for 11 months and had to rebuild my relationship with my family. And my, and my son, my dad moved into a new neighborhood just so I could change school. So like, you know, I have this like huge admiration and, and really he, saw and I mean for my whole life he'd always say things like I would I just wish you find something you're passionate about that wasn't illegal like he would say that to me all the time and I'd be like you and me both like I don't know I just <laughs> just like to do stuff so but he could um, probably see like how powerful you could that be was if the you thing is that he it. just saw he saw I remember one time he tells this story where like he asked me to help him with uh you know some renovation on the cottage and we we're putting in a wall and everybody else it was like this weird hard wall that you had to like kind of like uh, nail through and everybody else is smashing their hands and I go and grab a plier and I'm holding the nail with the plier and then smash with the hammer and he's just like why are these six other people sitting there trying to bang their fingers with this hammer and Dan like just grabs a plier cl- clamps on and he's just cranking like he just knew I was always kind of like a uh, creative problem solver I guess and I just you know he the, you know the the first companies. So when I got into computers he brought me to the bookstore and he said I will buy you any book but one at a time and you got to read it. And that was how I learned to code. I didn't go to university. I still haven't gone to university. And I've spoken at some of the top universities on business, which always makes me laugh. <laughs> and he spent $3,000 over a year period. I, I didn't have, I literally would buy books on HTML, JavaScript, Cold Fusion, PHP, Perl Scripts, Server, Database. And, like, and it was just one at a time. He unlimited budget. So I owe him a lot for the beginning. And then after that, I just was never a big spender and I would just save my money. Like I, I was making a hundred. So the first job as a consultant through my company, when I was 22, I got working for an oil company and I was making 150,000 a year driving 1987 Jetta. And I was totally content with that. Mm. Never, you know, and that was the seed money that I, that I used to start my, my next company. And the, before that, the hosting company I did, I did it with my brother. We each put in 10,000 line of credit. Like I just, threw down. Like I just, I don't know. I, I guess again, that ri- the risk side for me, you know, knowing what I did as a teenager and the shit I put myself in the situation I put myself in, like the business risk was like on a level that wasn't even different playing fields. So, uh, and I feel lucky and blessed that that's, that's kind of my experience. Like, yeah. you know, I've, I've never had an issue with thrown down if I felt like my soul and, and my gut was there and speaking to me. So, you know, always, I've always felt the world, the world rewards courageous decisions. Mm. And as long as I, I always feel like these are, you know, they're sensible, they're going to push me and I just trust in the process. They, they seem to have worked out. With obviously jail and rehab, what, what's the biggest lesson you took away from that? Tons of stuff. I mean, on the jail side, I think, you know, for the longest time growing up, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was eight put on Ritalin, you know, as an eight year, I mean, I got two little kids now and I just yeah. can't even understand the logic behind that. And so I thought I was broken for my whole life. Mm. So I grew up in this kind of like, you know, it was almost like the cyclical negative reinforcement of, you know, I felt broken. I would act out. Everybody would say I was a bad kid. All of a sudden the neighborhood kids weren't allowed to hang out with me. We'd go in the woods. Then I'd be like trying to get them to do bad stuff because I was supposed to, because that's that was kind of my role. Uh, in the, yeah, yeah, and so I guess the the big thing is is just the power of the people around you. Like literally, 
uh, it's so hard to get out of that hole if you're spending time. So like, how do you do good when you're in a jail setting? Like I tried like the second, this is my second time. I went in when I was 15 for drug related charges and assault. Then the, the second time I got sentenced uh, for, you know, nine months and I was like, this is different. I'm going to try. And I like really try and I get in a fight three months in. It's like, had, you know, so just the power of proximity around uh, the, the influence of the people around you, that was, that would be the biggest one for yeah. that, that part. And then, you know, I, I went to this incredible place called Portage that was essentially a therapeutic community in the middle, like literally like something like we're looking at here in these mountains. Mm. It was so far out of, out of normal reach of, of any town was that if you saw a kid, you know, walking hitchhiking down the street, everybody knew it's like, Oh, that's, yeah. you know, and you just walk for two hours and finally give up and go back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this happened all, I did it a couple of times. Everybody did it. Like you got to a point yeah. in the program where it was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, okay, bye. The end. See you yeah, in a couple hours. It's like, oh, it's raining. I'm going to come back. So I would say that place just taught me about what made me tick and, mm. and emotions and things that I'd buried and, and, and stories. And was it rehab for drugs? Yeah. Yeah. And I've been sober since, you know, 17, 37, 20 years, mm. 20 years. That's awesome, man. man. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's an early lesson. I mean, at 17. I am so, I cannot, it blows my mind that I got to learn those lessons. Like even adults going through that program would come out a different person because I had, and I mean, just, I got to learn from the other people. I, what was different about this place that, that I'm lucky for is, and probably why it worked for me is that all the other staff, the, the adults were all ex-drug addicts. Mm -hmm. That was how it was created. It was like this philosophy of, you know, positive peer pressure of yeah. people have been there, done it before, which is the basis of great entrepreneurship, which is mentoring. I mean, I learned this at 17. I learned at 17, like you're supposed to find people who have done it before. So that's a huge lesson. Yeah, I know. So like, I'm like that. I just started applying everything I learned there and some of my, you know, street level business acumen stuff I did <laughs> when I was 15, 16, that, that, you know, uh, when I got into business, it just translated in a really powerful way. So that those those would be the biggest lessons just you know almost the eq side of the business emotional intelligence yeah. like i i had a at a level of 18 where i mean i sold my the third company i did sphere technologies was 24 when i started it and we sold the fortune 500 companies so i'm selling to ctos of fortune five and i didn't even have a clue and it's just because i had the eq mm. to have those conversations understand their needs to communicate in the benefits not the features or geek out of my own what I thought was neat, but really understanding like this is like putting myself in their perspective. And that's, that's why the company worked out. So moral of the story is hit the streets at 15 starts, start doing drugs, slinging Scare yourself <laughs> every day, hopefully doing legal stuff yeah. and be, be comfortable with the uncomfortable. So obviously the fellow on podcast being what this is, how do you actually define failure? Cause obviously you had, a, you've had a lot of ups and downs on your journey. I think I think failures are, are when you made a decision that backfired twice. You know, fa failure to me, and there's a cliche. It's like, oh, failures and blah blah. It's like literally, if I didn't learn my lesson the first time, that was a failure. Mm. If I had a challenge and I didn't get through it, but I learned from it, and I don't put myself in the exact same scenario, game on. Awesome opportunities. Like, uh, uh, you know, yep. I, I really think you know, failures are just experiments that ran too long. And that, that, so on yeah. that, on that note, a lot of people say f quitting's failure, which 
not always, right? Because, not at all, man. Because sometimes you need to know how, you need to you need to quit because it's not the right business or no, not I mean, the right project. I, I, I would say again, failures are experiments that went too long. Like not quitting soon enough when you had the data to create the room and the space in your life to go discover that next thing. That's that's just crazy talk. So on that note, though, how do, like what's a good? How do you measure that? How do you measure like how do you get to the point where you know okay, this is not working. This data does not make sense for somebody that's maybe starting a project and they're not getting much track much traction. Like, how do you know where that line is? Because on the same note, people always say you're three feet from gold. You know, like yeah, so- and you know what? And you especially in the tech world where I come from, you know, you, you, there's all these like, oh, uh, I got a thousand no's or I got a thousand lessons on how not to do it, and I kept going. Look, there's there's some theoretical underpinnings of things like there's a level of intelligence like if you have a good set of advisors i always think of mentors of like people that that you know i think the biggest challenge people have is they make decisions based on what they think their immediate peer group will think and what i do in my head instead is is think of the people i admire right and it doesn't matter who that is for you just you know who those people are you might you've maybe never met them you read about them whatever and think to yourself like if i'm making a financial decision i ask myself what would warren buffett think of that decision and i can say to myself, I think he'd be proud or he'd feel good about that. That's a great filter, right? So like when I was designing my product at Clarity, my last company, I literally would think, would Steve Jobs be impressed with this? And is this like, is this, is this beautiful? Is it simple? Is it elegant? Or is it just meh, Mm. you know? And like that, and I, so I really think that if you're doing something and you're not seeing the results, but you have people around you that have been there and they're saying, there's something there. Keep going. Like, you know, it, it's not just this blind, stubborn bull. Because you all see those guys on Shark Tank or Dragon's Den in Canada. And it's like they come out with these board games. And they're like, <laughs> how long? And the, and the sharks go, how long have you been working on that? He's like, 27 years. And then, how much you invest in that? $130,000. My whole life savings. And he's like, okay, here's what you're going to do. <laughs> you're going to go in the back lot and you're going to burn this thing. And you're going to never talk about it again. So, yeah, there's those, you know, like. People sometimes act as like they're on this path of like dealing with no's. It's like, don't be an idiot. So I would say that for me, that's what I do. Like I have, I have a group of kind of like really, you know, successful people that admire not only just the business side, but even the way they show up in in their life and their family Mm -hmm. and stuff. And I think to my, and I, and I go to them if I feel like, Hey, I've been like trying to crack this problem. I just can't seem to figure out. And they go, you know what? I, I think you're on the right path. And just keep at it. Mm. But if they all go like, man, Dan, I know, you know, I know you're passionate. I know you're smart. I know you're tenacious, but that specific thing, I really don't see it. Or go test this. Like, you know, okay, who do you think your core customer is? Well, these type companies. Okay, go try to pre-sell. Go try to get them to join your advisory board or do something that if the market's not, and it's not about, see, that's the other thing in tech is you can be early and be wrong. And, and, and I know this because I've been doing it long enough that, that's a real thing. So you may not be wrong directionally speaking. Right. The timing's off. And maybe maritime vacation was the wrong timing because sure. you got Airbnb and VRBO and all these different sites today. But it just, you know, the, the timing really matters. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, having those people around you, just building in isolation is probably the dumbest thing you could do. That would be, if you said, yep. how do you avoid it? Build in isolation. So proximity has been a big Proximity to people, it's everything, man. Like, why we're sitting here? It's ne- this it's in a negative way and a positive way, like yep. you said, like when you're a teenager. But it's super powerful for, for me, anyways. No, I think it's been the same with me. So for somebody that's listening that doesn't have, they're not surrounded by people doing stuff that they want to do. What's the best way to one kind of elevate your 
your network and then two, how to actually find a good mentor. Yeah. So I'll answer. So we'll go mentor second. Yep. First, just your, your peer group. Cause I really think there takes three things. You got your peers, your advisors and your mentors. Mm-hmm. I call it a dream 100 list. So I actually like every time I create a business, I open up a spreadsheet. I create three tabs, peers, advisors, mentors, and it's a 60, 30, 10 split. I'm a super, you know, a systems nerd, as you can probably tell just by even that answer. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like guys, you got OCD. I'm not even that organized. I just, and because I'm so disorganized, I have to create these systems got in my it. life. But peers are people that are on the shared journey. Okay. So they're usually people are two to three years ahead of where you want to be. And, and we'll talk about how to find them. And then uh, advisors are people that have experience or knowledge around a domain, and, uh, you know, accounting, operations, logistics, procurement, whatever it is. And they'll come into your life to help answer one-off questions. And then your mentors are literally, I call them people you turn to instead of your parents. For the big life decisions, these are the people you talk, like, should I move? Should I start this business? Should I bring on a co-founder? Should I raise money? Should I go to university or not? That's what a mentor does for you. Because if you aspire to have a better, bigger, more interesting life than your parents, which most kids do, then it makes no sense whatsoever, even though you can love them and they love you, to ask them for advice because they're going to give you the same advice they would use themselves because that's the life they got. You know what I mean? Like, it's so, hopefully nobody listens and be like, I don't agree with that. It's like, so logical. It's super logical. (laughs) So once you know that, you can't unknow it. So now you know. The, 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 The peer group, the way I would say, is in every city, there is an entrepreneurial community. And I and I grew up in a town of 100,000 people. So you might live in a town of 600 people, but it's the guy that owns a car dealership. It's the guy that owns a real estate place. The guy that owns a car wash. The guy that owns the buildings. Like, they're, they're there, okay? And the funny part is that sometimes they don't want to be known, they're, but they're there. And, like, totally. now in this world of, like, entrepreneurship's cool. Back 20 years ago when I started, it was, like, if you're an entrepreneur, it means you're dumb or stupid or you didn't know what you're doing in life. like literally so different, yeah. it wasn't a thing so today you could you could go and you could go on meetup.com you can go find any local like entrepreneurial groups you can go to i mean there's there's a bunch of like entrepreneurial events you know just search like entrepreneur events business events marketing events um you know networking events and just and just start going and socializing yourself and just kind of meet people and you, you know you'll know when you talk to somebody if you're like man i like this person i could see myself being friends with them then you just really just say hey man can i get your card love to stay in touch and you know i've been trying to think of a new idea of of pursuing could you know could i email you from time to time and they'll say yes because there's not a lot of that right but on that note like we talked about comfort zone earlier that's going to be uncomfortable for a lot of people so it's so funny because i I get excited thinking about that yeah no like for me for me like going to big group settings where i don't know anybody it's well i'll I'll tell you i'll tell you okay so then here's here's what i'll tell you to do is get really good at asking questions Mm. have your go-to questions make it three questions and the best one is what do you do you know, so they'll answer, but this is the key. This is the follow-up where we listen to this and this is magical. How did you start that business? Mm. What got you into that? That sounds interesting. How'd that start? You know, where did you even come up with that idea? That will unlock, you know, every entrepreneur. Totally. It's like, <laughs> let's like, take a did, seat. Oh, all right. Sit down. This is a good story. <laughs> every entrepreneurial story is a great story yeah. because it never works out the way you're supposed to. Like that's, so I think if you can just like master the, hey, what do you do? How did you start that? And just curious if, and this is this is another one of my favorite ones. Who are some people along the ways that really helped you with that? Because then you give them an opportunity. It's almost like it's kind of like a, an inception. It's like a it's a Jedi trick because you see what I'm doing, yep, right? Yep, yep. You're essentially planting in there. You're getting them to go. You know what? It was my uncle. You know, and you could ask a question like, "Who is that person that believed in you?" 
You know, and that might sound a little much, but I ask that all the time. Because then they're, you're opening up in their mind those people that they're grateful for, and you're sitting across the table from them. So it makes a logical sense if you go like, hey, do you mind if I ever – and they're going to go, I got to say yes now because you just <laughs> made me tell you about my Uncle Bob that if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. So maybe I'm your Uncle Bob in this scenario. <laughs> so those are – I That's would great. say, yeah, so if you're you're you know anxious about that, get really good. I think really just being good – even if you're an introvert, being good at asking questions – is is a magical skill. That's the advi- the 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 group, the peers. Yep. I'm going to tell you mentors because I really think that people make this way too complicated. And it's, it's two filters. One, I use the list of people that won awards, entrepreneurial awards. So I mean, if you don't know, you can go to Inc. Five Thousand. You can go, you know, local entrepreneur award. You'll find in every city. In, in my town, it's Rising Stars. You can find the local list of. You can go in the. I even emailed the the business journalist in the newspaper and asked them to give you a list of the 25 companies that they've talked to in the last 12 months that they were fascinated with. Mm. They know because they they write the stories. Yep. So that's another trick. So you get the list, but then here's the key: is try to find out. What's the cross-reference between those people and the the nonprofits that they might be involved in? That's the key. Because mm. if you can find, or you can just go to the nonprofits themselves, like you know the hospital nonprofit, the you know the the Run for the Cure, whatever it is, and then see who's on their board or advisory board. That's an entrepreneur. That's a that's a layout. That's like they're they're such a good person. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. So I just solved. The, I, if somebody would give me that advice when I was seventeen, it would have been a different life, <laughs> quicker. Road. Yeah, way quicker. So let's go to what you would consider your very first failure in the world of entrepreneurship. Hmm. So that you want the first failure. Hmm. 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 I mean, there's so many. I, I want to give you guys a big one. <laughs> I'll give you one that really, really, really stung. What well, does it have to be first? Just the one that's been. Yeah, like, I'm gonna give you the ugh. one where it's like I will never make this mistake again. And it was well. There's two that come to mind. One was when I was building my company, Sphere. We're 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 a consulting company, and we brought on a partner because we we had this very specialized technology that we, we were great at. And we found a company in New Jersey, and they had a bunch of really big customers, and they needed us. So they brought us on as a partner, and we partnered with them, and it was really great. And you know, the the CEO kind of became like a pseudo mentor, but at the same time, like there was a business relationship. But I kind of was like open to his advice, and I was very curious. And like we just kept you know growing, and he kept getting more projects and more people on our team. And he one day brought up the fact that he was interested in maybe kind of like acquiring us. And I was just like, wow, it was like two years in. I was like, I can't believe like they'd want to acquire us. And I talked to my dad about it again because I said he thought it was a good idea. It was a great idea. But, you know, he gave me this good advice. He said, uh, how much of your business right now is with them? And I said, probably a third. And he told me this really great story. Essentially, it was a fable, but it wasn't a fable. But I'll tell it like a fable. It's just essentially the idea is that there was a company once that started working with this other supplier and the supplier of this technology. And they got really busy and they started doing more work with the supplier. And eventually, they wanted to buy them. And they went to the supplier and they said, you know what? It's been our most profitable year. Working with you guys has been great. We're really loving building the business. So we're probably going to keep doing that. But we really appreciate the offer. And they say, okay, cool. And they tripled the amount of orders. So the, the supplier is like, oh, my God, we're growing so much. So they went to the bank. They got a line of credit. They hired a bunch of people. And then the company didn't pay the invoices. Mm. And they didn't pay the invoices. And like four, five months later, uh, I got to the point where they went insolvent. And the company bought the supplier from the bank for $0.10 cents on the dollar. Great lesson, right? Yeah. So my dad tells me this. And I kind of didn't listen to him. 
And they they tried to do that to us. No way. Yeah. So your dad saw it. He saw it, man. He so he's saw the, the mastermind, writing. man. He's he the brain. He is. He, like I said, if you want strategic advice, <laughs> you call my dad Victor. Just get ready for it because he'll talk your ear off. But he's just an amazing <laughs> – he's just been – he's just done it so many times. So that was that was a, a close call. So it wasn't as bad. The second one was I was building my company, Flowtown. We were a social marketing platform. We'd raise a bunch of money. And what we did is we took, uh, we added social data, social and demographic data on top of email addresses. Email marketers, this is 2009. We saw this transition from email marketing to social media. And a lot of people that had emails didn't know where their clients were on social media. So we actually built some technology and we integrated all these different APIs. But a big part of it was Facebook. And we use Facebook data and a bunch of other different data providers to provide this report and aggregate data on top of these emails. And we were about to raise our next round of funding. We had grown to 50,000 customers. And all of a sudden, we get an email one day from Facebook and saying, within two months, the API call, the integration, whatever, is a technical thing. But essentially, the thing you're doing with us will no longer be available. And it literally made our product useless. And it was the biggest kick in the nuts I've gotten. Probably the, not the, uh, yeah, it would probably be in the top top three. And, you know, we, we ended up going to the whiteboard, brainstorming three new ideas, market testing them quickly, pick the new one, and slowly transition our customers over to this new solution. You know, 11 months later, great success story, we got acquired. But I will say that from that story, that fail, almost failure, that well, essentially it was a failure that we turned around was I will never be dependent on another company for my success. Mm. And maybe it, it goes back to what my dad said. Essentially, yeah. like, there's this partner giving you 30% of your business. And what his argument was is really simple. Just grow your business so that they're not more than 20% of your business. Like, it was such a simple lesson. And, you know, so I've had a lot of people that were in similar positions where their product essentially sits on top of somebody else's data. And they're like, what do you think? And I'll, I tell them the story. I said, it's great, but you need to quickly build a roadmap and a plan to get off of that as your primary I mean, core product. Outside of like software, like e-commerce, like happens all the time. Amazon, right? Oh, SEO. Yeah, I exactly. mean, friggin' Google decides to change their algorithm. All of a sudden you lose 6% of your traffic. Totally. Right, Amazon changes something. You got Facebook decides to change something. Like, like you don't own it. Like you don't have the no, customer's build- information on Amazon, no. right? Like you don't have their email. You don't have their phone number. Like you don't own any of that. So it's a huge. And that's a decision. And that's and for me personally, I don't. I would never feel comfortable being in a position where I don't own the business because I don't want to work really hard for seven to ten years to have that taken away. Yeah. So those those would be two failures. That left again. If I made the mistake twice, then I'd be like, "That was a mistake." But I won't. Like, I'm really good. There you go. I literally write things down. Like, I have, I have like a, a Google Doc on on my. I do a lot of angel investing. I have a rule. I have a rules of investing because I've I've made mistakes. But again, are they mistakes if I don't make them twice? No. But I just keep appending to the rules. Like this criteria now needs to be true in the future. So it saves me from making right. that mistake. So it's. I just think it's if you have that discipline and and kind of being diligent in your lessons learned, then then life's about pushing, learning, pushing, kind yeah. of recalibrating. But it's definitely not about playing it safe. You're obviously a really positive dude. Do you, do you ever go into these like, Hell a lot of yeah. people I talk to go into these serious ruts, you know, where they're like, don't want to talk to anybody, don't want to be on social media, just 
it takes them a while to get out. Do, yeah. Does that happen? I'll tell you what it is. So I call it the entrepreneurial pendulum. It swings from exclamation mark, take over the world, going to dominate everything. <laughs> That's usually called uninformed. Yep. Ask, ask, ask actually Cameron Harold about the entrepreneurial roller coaster. Okay. Yeah. It's the uninformed optimism. But anyways, I you know this exclamation mark, and it swings all the way over to question mark, what am I doing with my life? Why did I start this business? This is the dumbest thing in the world, right? <laughs> and like literally you can swing back and forth a couple times in the same week. Yep. And sometimes twice in the same day, you know, you might wake up and say, we've got a new customer. Yay. And then we get, oh, Why am I doing person that? just five <laughs> got quiz. And then, so it, it's actually called automatic, automatic negative thoughts, ants, right? And it just happens. It's, it's humans. Fear is 20 times more powerful than aspiration. It's just the way we're programmed. You need to understand. So the way I think about it in that pendulum swing is how can I spend as much time as possible in the takeover of the world exclamation? So then that's really just this game you got to play with yourself. It's a mental game, you know? And people talk about personal development and, and, and mindset and all that. It's real. Sh- like it's real. It's not, you don't, you don't just, you don't get born with that stuff. You can actually develop it like a muscle so i yeah i do a lot of stuff so do i spend do i ever get there yes do i stay there no so how do you get out i do a ton of stuff gratitude you can't you can't be grateful and angry at the same time you can't do it can't zero not possible so if you're feeling super fearful and you answer the question what are the three things i'm most grateful for today that are not fucking normal like really like <laughs> your heartbeat is a great answer yeah. the fact that it's warm outside is a beautiful answer not oh i got money in the bank it's like literally like things that are just simple you can't be fearful and grateful so great gratitude is another one another thing i do is uh, I, I coach a lot of high performing software entrepreneurs i get them to create an accomplishments list uh, and, and just like list things that you're proud of for your whole life and start off right now and list 10. But, you know, over time, and I have it in Evernote, just make them there. And those are the things you, you go back to to remind yourself of all the greatness that you've done in your life. It's and so true because entrepreneurs are so hard forget. on themselves. And we, you're hard on yourself. Oh, if we, if we sp- spoke out loud to – like <laughs> if somebody spoke to us the way we speak to ourselves, you'd punch them in the face. <laughs> it's Hands so down. true. It's you so literally true. would clock them. So accomplishments list is another one. I, I, I think a morning practice is really important. Mm. I call it a practice for a reason because I think it's something like playing a sport, like being an athlete, like playing a, a, an instrument that you, you practice and you involve. But like you need to – the people side of it, right? Here's another one. This is my favorite trick. This is probably my go-to more than anything else. The accomplishments list, I do, I do a lot in the gratitude every morning, all that stuff. Five-minute journal, go buy it. You can thank me later. So that's a given. Yep. The one that I go to is – if I'm ever feeling down, I reach out and I, I offer to help somebody else. Mm. That's like the easiest one. Like, so true. Yeah. It's so, I mean, literally you can just post on Facebook. Hey, I've got an hour if anybody's struggling right now. And it sounds so counterintuitive. It's like, why would I do that when I'm feeling like crap? There's just something about helping other people. I think I've seen you do that before. I do it all the time. Yeah. yeah. So like, so instead of being in a funk for three days, like some people, and they'll just like close the door, watch Netflix and, you know, block out their calendar. Because I know what you're doing. (laughs) Okay. I see you. Right. Right. Get out from your frigging bedroom and go back to your team. They need you now. And, and just say like, does anybody, you know, I got an hour who wants to chat. And then by the end of it, you just kind of like, you flip back into I oh, am, yeah, man. I can be helpful. I'm valuable. I've got good ideas. You know, I'm going to, and here's the funny part is by doing that, it almost reminds you of the things you probably know you need to do. So then you can't stay over in this like self pity crappy mode. You got to like get back to the, the exclamation mode. So it's really not about, look, we're human. We're going to end up over there. It's how much time mm. do we spend there? Yeah. So I spend very little time because of all these things I've added to my life. What's the last thing that you did to get outside your comfort zone? 
I do stuff all the time. The thing that I'm trying to think of something that would sound sound scary. I whether mean, whether business, personal, or whatever. Running a Spartan race in September. That was kind of, and I was going to do the small one, and my friend said essentially a bunch of explicitives and just you know <laughs> Man, <laughs> and like I'll... I don't have like I'm a I'm not a I don't have a running body <laughs> like right, I, you know right. I remember I ran a marathon once and I got the starting line I looked around I was like <laughs> why is all these people so small like I'm like 6'3 220 like I'm like this is gonna hurt did you ever so, run one since marathon yeah I did, I did one and that was good that enough one and, yeah it took one me and five down. hours and 50 minutes and it sucked <laughs> and I it was the worst experience, but you know, like I do stuff like that. So like, you know, I've climbed Mount yeah. Rainier, I've gone, I do, I do physical stuff that's scary, but I would say just the business stuff. It's, it's really about just like the, the, the mindset, like I, for a long, for the past year and a half, I had a, you know, a goal of, you know, helping a hundred thousand or, um, yeah, a hundred thousand at risk youth grow their confidence through entrepreneurship. And just the other day I was like, hundred thousand is kind of fucking small. What am I, you know? And then I'm like, now it's 10 million. And I'm like, is there 10 million at-risk youth in the world? I don't know. Like, there's a there's about 400 million entrepreneurs. Hmm. Yeah, maybe there is. Anyway, so now it's 10 million. So it's like, it's just really about like upping the game on what I set for myself of what's possible. So it's it's and those always make me anxious because obviously, mm. if you make a public declaration, you don't want to not achieve it. But I also think it's important for us to set goals that are so crazy that we probably won't hit them in our lifetime, but they're worth aspiring to because we're such assholes on ourselves and we get to the mountaintop. And as soon as we're there, we look to the next mountain, right? We never can just be content and happy. So it's like, why not aim super crazy high? And especially something that's aspirational, it's bigger than us. I think, uh, you know, that would require a team. I think that's, those are the funnest things to work on. There's always like these contradicting beliefs on this, right? It's like set small goals so you can achieve them and then you'll feel good about yourself I versus think, like setting one for the moon. I think, and- they're, I think they're kind of different. You, you, you create something aspirational, but then you break it down to something you can get done. So it's like lifetime aspirational, but like next quarter. Step one. We're right? going to do Step something. Yeah, 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 we're going to move that boulder a little bit yep. up the mountain. Like directionally, it's got to move. Even if it doesn't move 30 feet, you moved it 10 feet. But it's up the mountain, and then we're going to keep – like, that. that is – there's obviously, I think, uh, nobody can argue with that. But, yeah, it's – you know, some – I don't like when people are like, you know, what are you going to do in the next five years? I'm going to build a billion-dollar – somebody said that. I'm going to build a billion-dollar – look, I don't disagree that you could do it because I know people have done it in five years. Like, Travis Kalanick, CEO of Uber, was an investor in my last co- – or one of my companies, Flowtown. So I saw Travis do it. I saw the guys at Airbnb do it. I saw people do it. So, like, it's not impossible, but, like – with no previous track record, with not moving the boulder 10 feet up a mountain yet and just staying that, it's like, come on, don't be stupid. Like, and it's, you know. that's not you being negative. It's just, it's just, no, it's just like, why are you setting yourself up for failure? Right. Like, that's, if you said you want to do it in your lifetime, yeah, that's great. That's aspirational. To say you're going to do it in five years, you're, and, and it's playing the short game. And I, I really think life, people think you can fast track shit. Like, if I go to bake a cake and I put the heat up twice as hot as the recommended, <laughs> I'm just going to get a burnt fucking cake. Like, you can't cook a cake at 600 Fahrenheit. <laughs> like, doesn't work. People don't realize that. Uh, like, yeah, there's yeah. time is an ingredient in anything that's been magical. And when you look at, you know, one of the, the to me, if you say, like, what's the ultimate entrepreneurial thing? My mind, personal, is you're still the CEO of a publicly traded company that you founded. Hmm. There's only 27 in the world. Jobs, Zuckerberg, Bezos, Buffett, et cetera, Gates. So if you said, like, what's the ultimate entrepreneurial win? That. 
Mm. And none of those things happen in five years or totally. something. You know what I mean? Like totally. they're very, they're dedicated to it in their whole life. And I think that's special. And some of them, they don't end up staying CEO. It's the ones that literally are still running the company. They found it. It's, a, it's such a different game to go from founding to running the company. Oh, at that level? Yeah. You're yeah. not the same person. Right. So, you know, that that's a big thing for me in life. It's people always wish, like, I wish bad stuff didn't happen to me. And I always laugh and say, well, why don't you wish you were the kind of person that could deal? Mm. Like, don't wish they didn't happen. Wish that you were the person that totally. that you could deal. Like, pro- like, I don't know what people think. The more success you have, the less problems you have. Like it's that Jim Rohn quote, don't wish it were easier, wish you were better. Exactly yeah. that. Become the person who can deal. How do you assess, like, risk and the the potential of failure and the fear associated with that. Because for a lot of people just starting out, you know, so you have to take yourself back a little bit, right? Like yeah. kind of getting started. So what's the best way to approach that in terms of like... I, I guess because I'm, I'm a pretty... I'm crazy. Like I get it. I'm not normal. Most people not go through the stuff I went through. So I'm not, I am I calibrate differently. So totally. I used to think you have to quit your job or you're not serious, which is funny because I never really did that. Right. So what would I recommend now? It's like do your side hustle. Like literally, you know, it's funny because I used to see these people talk about like anybody can make money on the internet and make money on the internet. And I'd see all these ads, you know, like if you go to anybody's website, you get remarks. So you see them and I'd be like, oh, fuck, another one of those. And then I listen to them and I'm like, they're so right. Like literally for zero money today, you can make if you don't if you need to publish content, WordPress is free. You need to accept credit cards. PayPal is free. You need to, to get your message out there. YouTube is free. Like literally anybody today can start by trying for free. Not sacrifice their job, side hustle style, no cost with any tool that you anybody can get a computer. You can literally get a free computer these days. Got an amazing camera in your pocket. It's just, it's there. So, so and that's what's funny because people always say say to me, it's like, there must be so many more entrepreneurs today than there were before because it's easier. It's not. That's the isn't that crazy? It's never been easier, yet no there's not more per capita. It's not like all of a sudden it used to be like one percent of the population of entrepreneurs and now we have five. It's still the same percentage. It's just we know about them, they're idolized more, but it's the same percentage because mm. it's never been about the resources. Isn't that crazy? It's never been about access to anything because it's the people that are going to make it happen. They were going to be successful regardless. Regardless of the circumstances. So then you got to ask yourself, well, what's the game? What's the, what, what do I need to believe? And that's, it all comes back to the mental space. And look, if you want the fastest way to turn this around, it's the people you spend time with. Real, real simple. If you are fat and you want to get in shape, go spend time with guys that are triathletes. You're gonna feel stupid ordering a muffin and a and a double mocha cappuccino when they're ordering green tea and the egg white thing. Like you're gonna feel dumb. You're they're, you're ordering the wings and the, the the nachos and they're ordering chicken with some broccoli and steam. You know, like you just <laughs> it's a good and, analogy, yeah. Yeah, like literally, they won't let you. You'll feel that positive peer pressure, like I was saying earlier. Yep. And so if you start hanging out with entrepreneurs. And you start hearing the way they talk, it, it just rubs off. And and I think that's the it's not you know, it may not be the the way that it all works out, but it's definitely the fastest way to get you out of that. For somebody that doesn't have an idea, doesn't know where to start, they know they're kind of destined for more, but they just you know, it's kind of they feel their potential, which yeah. you know, it's they unfo- know they're possible for yeah, more. Yeah, they know it's possible. And uh but they just don't know where to start. What's what's 
a directive or like action item you'd give? I always, I always, you know, this comes from my, my buddy, James Altisher. He talks about developing your idea muscle. So I'm giving him full credit for this, but I really, I really think so. Like I can't not see problems. Like literally mean, you know it. Like I could, I could look around here and see 15 business ideas. (laughs) Like, and we're just sitting on a patio looking at, but but I see like, you know, valet service with the dude on the golf cart and the cleaning service. Like I literally could see 15 potential business opportunities. Somebody coming and filling up those gas, you know, like, why do they need to drive the gas station? I'm just going to make them pay a monthly fee and I'm going to fill up their gas and I have to think about it. Like, and it's just that's the way entrepreneurs are because we've developed the idea muscle. So I would say for people that don't have that because they don't know what to work on, every day write down 10 ideas. And it's 10 things that frustrate you that add friction to you. Like, and don't be worried about how mundane it is. If you feel frustrated that you ran out of toothpaste, write it down because in all of these little things, you're just going to slowly – what happens over time, and I, I've worked with a lot of people on this, they start to see themes in themselves. They start to see cash categories of problems that they keep gravitating. They start seeing the same thing coming up on this list. And after like literally a week or two weeks, you start to build that muscle, you know? And I think that that would be the first place to start. Then it's like, okay, what do I think the solution could be to that? And let me go find some people who are going to buy before I ever build anything. Mm, that's a huge point, right? Because people think, I don't know, I always talk about this. They look a business as like being this big intimidating thing when you can look at it as like a project. Right? I call it a pro- I well, I have a blog post on like seven mm. ways to start a seven things you need to do to start a business. Step 1, don't call it a business. Love it. Call it a project. Yeah, 100%. It can it can't be a business because it's not. Yeah, it's literally no, totally. it is a project. Yeah, yeah. maritimevacation.ca was a project. I built it. I got people to pay me money. It you know, I did incorporate after a while cuz I like, you know, there's tax and stuff and it was like, but it was really a project, yeah. you know? And I think that that's okay. And you need to, and here's the other thing is you need to be okay to know that you might have multiple projects be, before you ever start the business. See, and that's another big fallacy, right? Like people think the one business idea is going to be the only no. business they ever run. No. It's like when I remember I was like, I'm going to write a book and I got all stressed about writing the right book, the book. And my buddy was like, dude, you probably have several books inside of you. And I was like, oh yeah, I probably do. It's like, man, it just took the load off in such a big way. So I would just say, assume you'll have more. Like I've started five companies personally, like my like full on earnest companies, but I have 25 projects, 30 projects I've started. And, 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 you know, just ask any entrepreneur, like how many domains have you registered? (laughs) Like, Oh, some people say like 500. (laughs) Other people say like 30 to 50. I mean like, yeah, but not one. (laughs) No, oh gosh, no, no. We, we, we see opportunity around us all the time. And, you know, and, and the funny part is that it's not even seeing that that's going to make you successful. Right. It's not. Cause then a lot of these people are like, let me run with one of your ideas. It's like, that's not the way to do it either. It has to be, it has to come from you. You yes. need to, to feel it. You know, you're, cause when you go to communicate to your customers or hiring somebody, they need, they need to see they it. Gotta in see you. you care, right? Yeah. Feel they, the passion. Yeah. You know, it's not like water paint, man. It's like, it's literally has, it's this very emotional. What's your thought on that though? Like, cause you know, you hear a lot of people like, don't worry about your passion. Like just look for the business need. And then on the other hand, it's like, why are you going to do something if you're not passionate about it? So what's your, how do you, how do you gauge that and judge that? I think, I think it's dangerous. I, I definitely have a thought on it. I'll say one thing. The, the you got to be diehard passionate about it. It can hurt people because when they start it, they did it because they were passionate about it. And then they realized it's a job and then they're not, then they're like, shit, this isn't funny anymore. It's like, look, business is not the same as being a practitioner. Yeah. Like if you love to teach yoga, starting a yoga studio is not the same as teaching yoga. So that I think is, is a, a place where it could really hurt people. But I will say this, it's, it's really like this kind of the Venn diagram of things that you, you know how to do 
things you like to do. It doesn't have to be like super crazy passionate. Things you like to do. So you know how to do. You have a skill. Things you like to do. And this is a big one. And the market will pay you. Yeah. And that that's center, that's the big one. And that, that's like, if you had to pick like, you know, <laughs> this and then, well, yeah, yeah. It's like, that one's a big one. And then the other stuff, you can learn how to do something, right? Like, you know how to do it. He's like, I've sold stuff. I was like, I don't even know how to deliver that, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> But I would say that's probably the biggest thing is that if you're, you know, people people like to play business. They fucking love to play. I, I actually didn't call myself an entrepreneur for like seven years because the entrepreneurs I knew back then were the biggest ding-dongs in the world because <laughs> I didn't know. And I was just like, all they have is a business card and they're selling like bullshit. It's they played business. Yeah. Right? I'm not, I don't want people to play business. You literally have to go and find a customer. You got to sell it. You got to get their money. You got to over deliver and you got to keep trying and doing that. And just, and you're allowed to iterate and just call it a project and take the pressure off. And don't worry if you decide to stop doing it because you found something more interesting or you found a unique angle or whatever, like just literally be okay with the process and keep your side hustle and just say, you know what, once I get to like, you know, 2000 a month and in income in this side thing, that's when I'll quit my job. Like yep. just set a target. Yep. Just say like, when I get to this level, on the side thing, then I get to quit my job. And and I think that's a beautiful way of transitioning. And if you don't, then look, you're not everybody's and look, you can, there's three different ways to be become wealthy. The artist, the manager, and the entrepreneur. The art you can be a world-class artist and still make like what is what does Stephen Curry make? Like 25 million a lot, year? Yeah. Yeah, he's an artist, you know, and then the manager of the team, you know, he makes five the the general manager of the team makes 5 million a year. So he's he's a manager. He's a, you know, make sure the clocks and the the the, car, the the trains run on time and all that. And he gets 5 million. And then the owner, I mean the entrepreneur, they're always like, you know, it's a it's a billion dollar franchise and their partner so you have the 500 million dollar franchise. So like the entrepreneur will always be disproportionately rewarded because of the risk, mm. but it doesn't mean you can't make a lot. They're, you know, the, the first 30 employees at Facebook still made a hundred million. They're still made out. Yeah. So don't, I, I think people think like I need to be an entrepreneur else. It's not true. You do need to take risks. You need to be around other entrepreneurs. You need to understand where the world's going and get in front of that, but you don't have to always be the creator of the thing. On the, on the note of kind of removing risk up front, What's the best way to pre-sell? Because obviously, it's a it's a brilliant way oh, to get man. into business. I right? wish there's more people around you because I would just do it for your audience right now. I think the best way to see is just see, hear somebody do it. Mm. The best way is is ask for advice. You know, so it's like I don't know. Let's say I'm just like making this up, but let's say I had an, an app for. Okay, so I just got this notification about my data usage, right? Because I'm Canadian. Yep. So it's like, hey Rob, have you ever hit your data usage when you travel internationally? All the time. Sucks, right? What's the most expensive it's ever been? $300. Oh, 300 bucks on what's your normal monthly plan? Oh, it's like 55. So you got to go from 55 to 300. That's crazy. You know, my buddy built an app for six bucks that will monitor that and notify it so it'll never happen in your life. Would you, would you want to buy that if I can get it to you right now? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So all I did is I asked, people need to ask so, A, you got to qualify. Sometimes people, they hate selling because they get no's. Well, you didn't ask if they had the problem. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, so, right. it's like, of course it's going to suck. Cause you, you want a data usage app? Yeah. It's uh, like, no. <laughs> no, it's like, no. Have you ever had this happen? Yes. Cool. How much did it suck? So, I just, what I did is I stretched the gap. I said, oh, that was there. What is it normally? 55. That's crazy. You're like, yeah, I know it's crazy. How did, you know? Are you married? Yes. How did your wife feel about that? <laughs> she was going to kill me. Or you have a business partner, and then and then you say, look, we you know, we we have a solution that solves that, and it's ten bucks. You know, and right now you can get it for five. What? Yeah, it's right now though. You need to invest right now. And you know, it's cool to be part of an early adopter program. 
and it's something we're creating right now and you'll help co-create it. And if you like it, you'll be able to like, your name will be in the app. And so you, you kind of give them a reason to pre-sell. Like I, you know, I call it the early adopter program. Some, some of my clients, they call it like, uh, you know, the founders list or, you know, the, you know, it's kind of like the, the, you see this a lot of crowdfunding. I really think crowdfunding it's, it's, it's been going on for years. Like you literally go to the early, you ask any entrepreneur, Richard Branson, first an airline, you know what he did? He released the plane, yeah, that's right. he got the contract, he went into the, the airport, into the, because the flight got canceled. He said, who wants to buy a ticket? He sold the tickets. Then he went and he completed the contract, but he didn't need, he like asked about leasing the plane, went and sold the tickets, then leased the plane. Right, right. So I just feel like that's been going on forever. But what's cool about crowdfunding, it's literally brought the cost of failure to zero to test ideas at scale. Yep. And I just think that's a beautiful thing. It's a world that we live in. We have tools again, but it's not the tools. You know what's funny? Literally, there's platforms that anybody can do crowdfunding. So if you want to do crowdfunding, it's, there's no reason you can't, yep. but it's not going to be the tools. Because the people that are going to be successful crowdfunding would have been successful regardless. regardless yep. They just can. So what you're seeing now is companies get to a billion dollars faster. That's what's changed. Short not, curve, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's faster, yeah. faster, faster. Companies can go from zero to a billion faster than ever. It was like Groupon was like you know five, five, six years ago they were the fastest to a billion. Then there was other companies. You know, I invest in a company called Intercom. They're the fastest growing SaaS uh, software as a service company right now. They beat Dropbox just because. The, the market's more efficient. The channels are there. You know, social media allowed, you know, what's called viral word of mouth to mm. occur before you could only like, you know, virally seven people you talk to in a day. Now it's like you have access to average about 200 people on Facebook. So if you like something, yep. so there's like all these things, but it's not more entrepreneurs. It's literally the people that are willing to do what we just talked about, which is pre-sell and just ask for advice. Just like ask questions. Have you ever had this problem? No? Cool. Go, go to like there's a restaurant over there with about 50 people around the, the area. I could go sell my idea and at the end of uh, 20 minutes decide that I'm not going to do it or I'm going to do it. Quick. Boom. Done. You know. JFDI. You know. You don't have to keep thinking on no, it. No. People no, it's think not. of these ideas for like like oh, six months. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool and did it Friday night and they have three beers and then they're just like, <laughs> yeah, we could call it this and then this this works and then, that, then we'll do that and we'll sell that and we'll add this package. Oh, yeah. That'd be so cool. It's like I, if that irks me yeah because you, you can go find that i out literally right now. want to pick them up let's go to the mall like i was i was 20 years old sitting at the mall with a clipboard selling this property management software you know what i mean and like who, getting people to give me money for it was a, it was an interface that i drew like i mean there was nothing there <laughs> it's like just get the feedback get get the people and i get that scary as crap but you know yeah. what's scary losing your life savings yep you know, going all in, borrowing money from your parents, quitting your job and failing, that scare, like that potential is the drive for me that, yeah. you know, I have two little boys. I would never want to put, like there would, ne there's nothing I wouldn't do to make sure that they ever had to feel like they couldn't, eat. I mean, just yeah. literally couldn't yeah. eat. No way. That's yeah. not happening. I don't know. Sometimes it's good to have your back against the wall. What's your... I mean, on that point, it's like, cause I, I was like, I, I was always the same way, like burn the ships, quit the job. I'm all in. And that's, what's going to be like back against the wall, fire under my ass. I've got to make it happen. And for me, like that's, that's been what's worked for me, you know? And like we talked about side hustle. I don't know. I don't know if like, I, I think I try to think like, okay, I could have done it that way as well. I just don't know though. I really don't. I don't know if I would have had, I don't know if I would have had the drive like that. To Yeah. I mean, I think, I think what I don't, I don't, 
look, the cool thing about entrepreneurship is there is a thousand ways yeah, to be successful. Totally. There literally is a thousand. I know people are like, what's the one thing? I hear what you're saying. People want to know the one the, thing. The three-step process. It's the, never one thing. Yeah. It's literally like painting art and yeah. there's a thousand brush strokes and different passers, introverts, extroverts. There's, I think there's like, you know, this, this guy had like nine different ways to create wealth, right? Like Warren Buffett is a totally different dude than Oprah Winfrey. And he's totally different than Jack Welsh at GE. And he's totally different than Dyson. You know what I mean? Like they're yep. just different entrepreneurs, yet right. they're all extremely wealthy. So there is no one way, but at the core of it, is wherever your comfort zone is right now, it's outside of that. It's just like, that is the, we all know that much. Whatever you feel comfortable with, that next level of anxiety, it's over there. So do make decisions that go over there. And if for you, that's even doing a side hustle. See, that's the thing for us. It's not like, we like that because we're confident in our skills. Where somebody else that doesn't have that, just even doing a side hustle would would keep them up all night knowing the next day they had to go to mall with a clipboard. True. You know? So True. it's like I guess it's really that's that I think everybody can agree on is 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 part of the the ingredients. Who's had the single most profound impact on your life? I know you talked about your dad some, but who's who do you say like man, I literally would not be where I am without that person? Well, I've uh, I've told this story a few times. It's super personal, but I was in jail. I told you about the fight I got into with this guy named Kurt over coffee of all things and I got I got locked up in uh not detention, but uh, isolation. Like What's it? In the hole. The okay. hole. Okay. So solitary confinement. Yeah. So I got put in solitary for three days. Again, 16 years old at the time. Probably the most inhumane thing you can ever do to another person is, you know, essentially they strip you down, put you in a room, lights on 24 and a half hours a day. They let you out for 30 minutes a day. I mean, it's the, it's the worst. No books. Lights are on the whole time? Yeah. Except for at night, they turn them off. So, yeah. I mean, you really don't even know what time of day it is. Got it. On the third day, this this guard uh, Brian, who was away when the incident happened, came to the, the cell. Open, you know, kind of came, and gave him, got me, and I was ashamed because Brian was like kind of one of those cool guards that you you kind of, you know, you looked a, a, looked away for like you know if you're doing something like you know watching TV longer than you should or whatever. But he was always like you know if you treat him well, he treated you well, and I felt really stupid because like he knew I was trying to do well. He like comes and gets me, and he's walking me back to the to the cell block and we go past the door that goes into the cell block where all the other juveniles use are. And he brings me into the guard unit, which is this kind of glass square that overlooks these two cell blocks. And I'd never been in there for, you know, I've been there for three months. I've never seen the inside. And I was like, what's, you know, what's going on? And he walks me and he sits me in the corner and uh, he sits down and he just looks at me kind of that disappointed face. And he, he just says, you know, what, what are you doing here? I said, well, me and Kirk got in a fight over breakfast and drinking the last coffee. He's not, he's not that. He goes, what are you doing here? And I said, you know, I got in a high-speed chase and I, you know, I ran in a house and I had a gun. And he goes, I've been watching you, Dan, for the last three months and I've seen you, like, you know, trying to stay out of trouble and do your homework and, and, and really do good for yourself. And he says, you don't belong here. And he said, if I'm the first person ever, I want I want you to let you know that I believe in you. And at 16 years old, that was the first time anybody had ever said that to me. And that changed that that literally changed everything from that eight year old that felt broken my whole life. And knowing that I wasn't that person, like that's the worst part. I knew I wasn't that person. All that shit people said. Yes, I knew I'd do those things, but in my heart I always felt like a good like I always I always felt like caring and a good person. I just wasn't in the right scenario to succeed, I guess. And 
you know, here's a guy that's seen hundreds of kids come and go and he's looking at me and he decided to take time out of his day. He didn't have to. And to say that, that was like, that changed everything for me. Have you talked to him since? Yeah. Did he, did he remember you? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Brian, you know, I really feel like I got I mean, obviously I got a second chance. I should have died probably three times, you know, growing up. And for some reason there were some angels looking out for me. And, and that is why every day I don't waste a fucking day. And I, and I, you, I can't teach that. Right. Yeah. Like literally factor that. No, like like, I got a chance and I said to whoever was looking out for me, if you help me get through this, I will dedicate the rest of my life to help other people like me, period. And for 15 years, I, you know, as soon as I made money, I started giving money to Portage, helping out, speaking there three or four times a year. And I didn't tell a soul for 15 years Mm. till this event exactly four years ago. It's funny. We're talking four years ago. This guy named Jason Gaynard in Toronto asked me to speak. I didn't know who he was. My buddy, Mike Litt, I saw him on Facebook. He he was friends with him. And I said, Mike, is this guy legit? He's like, yeah, he's good. So I said yes to speak at his event. And we get to his event and I'm there with my wife. She's pregnant. And we had our our one-year-old at the time. And our boys are 11 months apart, which is another crazy story in itself. But so she's there and uh, Jason says, hey, I just want you to know uh, it's 15-minute talk TED style. And he said, the best talk voted by the audience wins $25,000 to charity of their choice. And I was going to talk about like marketing or something stupid. And I go, there's no way I'm going to win this. And there was just such an urge of, of wanting to have that for Portage, this mm. place that you know saved my life. And I went back to the hotel room. My talk was on the second day. I went back to the hotel room that day and drew out a talk the first time ever telling kind of what I went through as a kid and what I learned about, you know, tenacity and risk and whatnot. And, uh, I was going to go the next day I get up to go give the talk. And my wife comes up to me and she goes, uh, Hey Dan, I, I'm not supposed to tell you, but my parents wanted to come by and see your talk to surprise you. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, uh, did they know like kind of what nobody knew nothing, oh, wow, dude, wow. nothing. And I was already nervous. And dude, this is 200, like Tim Ferriss is in the room, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Mark echo. I mean, this is like, a high-end group right. of people that I had a lot of respect for. And here I am about to bear my soul. And I said, please don't let your parents leave without me talking to them. Like hold, hold them. Cause I don't know how they're going to react. And I went up and, uh, I shared my story Did and my truth. Know? She didn't really know to that extent. Got it. Like to the detail of, of what happened. She knew I got in a lot of trouble, but I never told that specific story. Yeah, if you go if you go on my YouTube channel, you can go you can go find it and stuff. Man, I got off stage. Cameron Harold, some people came up to me and he said, "That was." He goes, "I looked around and nobody was like nobody's on their phone. Nobody's like that was incredible." And I was like, "Thanks, man." And it was just kind of like this. I mean, it was it was anxious, but at the same time, I just felt like, okay, this is who the fuck I am. Like you all, everybody's asking me the success theater bullshit. Yeah. Right at that point, it's like everything, the clarity, the flow time, all the success theater. But nobody knew who I was in my core, and that was yeah. it. Yeah. And I remember, and then Tim Ferriss came up to me, and he goes, that was the most amazing thing, Danny. And I've known him. I, at that time, I knew him for like five years. And he goes, I had no clue. I said, nobody, <laughs> like, nobody had a clue. This is the right. first time I ever shared it. And that, from that point on, four years ago, I decided that's how I want to show up in the world, and I want people to know my story. And that's where I started to realize like I had an opportunity to really help other kids that went through similar or going through similar things. And, uh, started a program to start mentoring at risk youth and 
it's could you could you have done it sooner? Like what? A thousand percent, I could. I mean, the you know what the fucking bullshit story I was telling myself? I wasn't successful enough yet. I need to be. I literally said, when I'm on Oprah, like. I don't want to be on Oprah. I don't even know why I thought that. Like when I'm successful enough to be on Oprah, then I'll tell my story. And that is the dumbest thing ever because I could have been serving. Because the truth is, is when I tell that story, I have parents that have kids in trouble come up to me. I have foster parents that come up to me and thank me because like I tell part of like being in foster care and you know, like they've seen kids come in and leave and not know whatever happened to them. And for them to hear me and what I've done with my life just makes them feel so happy for being a father. And like, I, that, I didn't know, like, I didn't know there was going to be a byproduct of like, literally when you share your truth, you create a space for other people to come into and you give them permission to explore that for themselves. And it is probably the most authentic and real and impactful thing. And yes, I built companies and all that stuff, but that, that's my legacy. That's what I'm here to do on earth. And the fact that I waited 15 years, you know, was a waste. And I'm, you know, and that's why I told Jason after that, like, I'm not, I'm not going to keep this story inside, even though at the time it was 200 people and I could have just never told it again. And probably it would over time get dissipated. I was just like, Nope, update my boat page. And you know, when I get on stage, any podcast, I always bring it up and you know, I get the text message from the parents when their kids are just got arrested and I'll get on the phone and try to share some wisdom and thoughts. And it's the most meaningful stuff I do. And right. Yeah. It puts business to shame really. Right. Yeah, no, the business stuff is really just something I really love to do. It's kind of, you know, but I mean, what's my purpose? I really think it's to to help other kids not feel broken. And anybody listening to this can help me get that message out there to more people. I'd be so grateful and open to that. And I guess that's that's what I do. I love it. So with danmartel.com right now, what's what's everything you're doing? What are you most excited about? Yeah, I mean, I've got a book coming out not too long. And I think, I mean, what, what do I do? I, I, I coach high-performing SaaS entrepreneurs. So software entrepreneurs that want to scale their businesses in a repeatable scale way. A lot of them get stuck at kind of the 10K a month and MRR. They got churn issues. It's always, you know, technically speaking, that's that's my my place, strategic, you know, that stuff. And what's what's been great is it's allowed me to work on the communication skills. Like prior to starting that site, I never did a video on YouTube. Right. right. And I still, I keep my old videos up there just so that people can, you know, and I've produced a video every Monday for the past, you know, almost two years. So it's like, you know, it's what, what it's been is an outlet for me to perfect, you know, how do I teach? How do I coach mm. that I get to leverage for these kids? They get the best version of me that the entrepreneurs I coach kind of help fund. Like the fact totally. that I'm even, you know, it's funny. Cause like I, I, I work with them every two weeks but within the between those two weeks, they watch my YouTube videos. But the YouTube videos are made for like kind of more advanced business stuff. <laughs> right. But they're still inspired to try to figure out what I'm saying. Mm. Like it's crazy to me. Like this kid Justin, you know, he's 19 and he watches my my business videos and he talks to me about like metrics. He's like, should I know that? And I'm like, what are you doing, man? Let's just <laughs> let's just focus on your idea. You right. know, like don't worry about all this other stuff. He's like, okay, but I watch your stuff, and I'm like, so I just th- I just think it's it's been the most amazing thing. But that's that's what I do. I do it through group programs. I don't do a whole lot of one on one. I kind of reserve that for my portfolio companies of entrepreneurs I've invested in, and I have entrepreneurs all over the world that I work with, and it's just cool. I mean, it's just like back to the software. Like, 
I still find it just so fascinating that you can be anywhere in the world and serve people. Like, so I remember people saying, like, you can literally get paid to do anything. My dad used to say this, like, if you want to be a rock flipper, you know, and you're passionate about flipping rocks, you can build a business around rock flipping. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing. But then, you know what? I have buddies that own multi-million dollar rock quarries. And technically, <laughs> that's kind of what they do. It's you know true, what I mean? Yeah. So, so, but in today's world, I have a friend that, that teaches and coaches dance studio owners. I have another one that teaches jewelry makers, plumbers. I mean, you name the vertical Every like you people have no idea that there's this new economy of supporting taking something you're passionate about. And even if you've never had success in the thing, literally being the person that curates, right? I have a buddy, Amir, he's got block uh, blockgeeks.com. He's not a blockchain programmer, he's not, you know, but he just is like nerded out on Bitcoin and produces content and curates and, and shines the light on the things he finds fascinating. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a multi-million dollar company around a topic that he's passionate about. I mean, everybody has that today. Totally agree. So if you're hungry and you want it, it's right there, but it's you're gonna need to do something. Gotta get off. Go you're do gonna, it. Something's gonna make you feel awkward about it, and you just gotta say, "I appreciate that. I understand why you're here in my life to make me feel awkward because you don't want me." You know, we've been programmed as adults to so not like, you know, fear is there for a reason. So on that note, this is kind of the perfect segue. What is a challenge that you can lay out for the listener to actually get them outside their to stretch their comfort zone? Easy. It's gonna be something about strangers. I'm just trying to figure out what's the question. This is it. Every person, anytime you go to buy something for the next seven days, Starbucks, car wash, gas station, I want you to stop and ask for the person's name. Like literally, if that's all you do, the person goes like, what do you want? Grande Americano. Thanks. That'll be 1950. I want you to say, and your name is, and she's going to go, Julie, say, Julie, thank you so much and give you your money. Like, I want people to do that. I want, because it's so powerful to just, it's get your, because you're thinking, this is what's funny is the person's, the, they're, they're thinking, but that's weird. And because you feel weird, <laughs> the person's going to feel weird. But I will tell everybody listening, I do this every day and people appreciate it because there's nothing that sounds sweeter than the name, True. their name. Like True. they love it. So it's like literally figuring out how to say it from a place of, I just want to use your name. I've been coming here for 18 months buying coffee from you. I don't know your name. And today's the day that stops. <laughs> I think that is a beautiful thing for every listener on here just to add to their life, to push them themselves out of their comfort zone a little bit simple you can do that today everybody seven days every time you go to buy something stop and say and your name is and you will floor them because you probably are the only person that day that have asked and they've served hundreds of people true and that's all they want to hear is their name and just appreciate and say thank you love it cool man well i'm not gonna take any more of your time but i appreciate it (laughs) rob that's been awesome yeah thanks for having fun dude all right, so you can find Dan at Dan Martell on Twitter. That's at Dan Martell. And all the links and resources Dan and I discussed, including more information on his current ventures and past successful exits, can be found at the page created especially for this episode. That'll be at failon.com slash 023. And next week, we've got a good one. We're sitting down with Daniel Dembski. Daniel is the co-founder of a company that had an incredibly successful crowdfunding campaign, Unbound Merino. I love his business probably more than he does, actually. It's a revolutionary travel clothing brand that will help you globetrot without all of the baggage. 
I wear this shirt nearly every day. And he's just a, he's an extremely interesting guy. He has a fascinating story. Make sure to tune in. And if you are finding value in the podcast and it has the wheels turning, please email me at rob at failon.com and let me know what your biggest struggle is right now. As I continue to build Failon with the goal of helping people embrace failure, share their struggle, and decide once and for all to create change in their lives, I'd be really grateful if you could help me with a couple things. Subscribing to the podcast takes a single click and helps the show get found by more people. And when people can find the show, it means it can help more people, which means in return, you are helping people by simply subscribing. So to subscribe and rate and review the podcast, super simple. Just visit failon.com slash iTunes or failon.com slash Stitcher. That's all for this episode of the Fail On Podcast. For more resources, show notes, and action items to help you find success in your failures, sign up for our mailing list at failon.com. For more actionable inspiration, we'll catch you next time right here on the Fail On Podcast.